0: Welcome to the Grow Strong Leaders podcast. I'm your host, Meredith Bell, and I interview business leaders who are committed to their own growth and the development of everyone on their team. If you enjoy my podcast, be sure to subscribe and rate it on your favorite podcast platform. Thank you for joining me today. I'm your host. Meredith Bell. And if you're committed to working on your own development and to helping others become the best versions of themselves, then you've come to the right place. My guest today, Dr. Denise Caleb, has been doing just that her entire career. And I'm so excited about the conversation we're going to have today. Welcome, Denise.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much. It's wonderful to be here. Thank you for having me. (laughs)
0: Well, before we jump in, because I have so many things I want to talk to you about, let me introduce you to my audience. Denise is president of the Human Resource Standards Institute, also known as HRSI, and it's the world's premier standards and credentialing, credentialing institute for private and publicly traded organizations. HRSI is a subsidiary of HRCI, and that's the organization that provides credentials and learning for individual human resource professionals. In her role, Denise gets to mine her deep business and HR experience to advance the goals of HRSI. She's passionate about having a positive impact on the future of work for HR and DNI professionals by showing how these standards can be leveraged. And before joining HRSI, Denise spent more than 25 years in executive leadership roles for Fortune 500 companies like Ford and Walgreens. She worked in several areas, including human resources, business development, DEIB, and marketing. And in total, Denise has served on seven executive teams and four boards. Denise. That's quite a lot of experience. And I wanted to share all of that with my audience so they can appreciate who you are and uh, the the wealth of experience and knowledge that you bring to us. And I'm just curious if there are some additional details about yourself or about your journey that you might want to fill in for us as we get started.
1: (laughs) Thank you, Meredith. You know, I have had such a beautiful career. And I'm so fortunate, and thank you for going back and kind of highlighting, because sometimes we need to pause and reflect like, oh gosh, I I have done a lot of work over the last 25 years. Um, But one thing that I have so enjoyed is just human resources in general, and particularly being able to intersect diversity and inclusion work with human resources. I eat, breathe and live HR. I just think it's this profession that's it's exciting. It's something that you can do in multiple different industries, which, which is what I've been able to do. You know, I've practiced HR, not only within higher education, but I've been able to then pivot and I was in automobile industry. I was also in, as you mentioned, working for Walgreens in the pharmaceutical and retail pharmacy space, and then also within within healthcare. And, and additionally, I've been able to do it within consulting as well. And I think that's such a neat opportunity. Oftentimes, your profession doesn't um, allow you to pivot and transcend different industries. And so I think that's something as HR professionals that um, we need to just embrace because you can take those same um, transferable skills and knowledge and be able to do that work in a different industry. So, um, you know, thank you for giving me such a wonderful introduction, but it's oftentimes I think we do need to pause and go, okay, where have I been? And then where am I going next? And The work I'm getting to do currently is so rewarding based off of that 25 years of past experience that I've had.
0: Mm -hmm. And I want to get into HRSI in a little bit. I first want to go back, though, because in your own leadership journey, I know you had told me in an earlier conversation that you've had some great bosses over the years. And because this show is about growing strong leaders, I would love for you to share what was it that made those individuals great? What what would cause you to say that person was a great boss for me?
1: Mm, yeah, that's that's a really good question, Meredith. Because I think we also need to pause frequently and look at who do we have the opportunity to report to um for good or for bad right sometimes we <laughs> learn things that we wouldn't want to do or carry forward and um and sometimes we often get to learn the things that we want to replicate and mimic you know in our bosses and those we get to report to and i've been extremely fortunate as i said i've worked across many different industries and and when you transition as an hr professional and strategist and leader um, and you're going into a new industry. Sometimes there's a lot to learn, <laughs> you know, if you haven't been within that industry before. And you know, I recall just great conversations. And um, my boss and I, um, Howard Atlas at Walgreens, we talk about this quite often. How many times we're at the end of the workday and we got to talk a little bit. And you know, and he says that he was learning from me in regards to human resource practices and processes and Uh, the people component, but I was also learning from him a great deal, particularly being new to retail pharmacy. You know, I had a lot to learn about the operating statements and the merchandising at the store level, um, the front end of the store versus the back end of the store, which is the pharmaceutical side. And so I really appreciated my time with him, my learnings there. Um, I had the opportunity to work for Bob Page and Tammy Peterman at the University of Kansas Health System. It's my first time in academic healthcare. care. You know, there was a lot to learn. It was my first time in a in a position where I was really embedded within healthcare. I was before on the peripheral with retail pharmacy and then delved into to being the, the VP of HR at the University of Kansas Health System and their ability to coach, mentor, guide. Um, And again, help me with the nuances of that environment were much appreciated. And then I learned a lot just about their style. Um, They had a very um, collaborative approach in making sure that people's voices were heard. It's it's very similar to um, Dr. Amy Dufresne, who is the CEO of HRCI that I work for now um, and have the opportunity and the pleasure to report to because... just making sure that, okay, we have an idea of how we should go forward, but have we gotten all the voices in the room? And even those that aren't in the room, you know, we seem to reach outside often the C-suite conversation that's going on or the executive leadership team conversation, make sure that we're bringing other thought leadership into the conversation because the people who have to execute against the work, um, their voice isn't always elevated the way it should be. And so I think her leadership style you know, Dr Amy Dufresne and and Bob and Tammy's really helped me to do that. One more person that I'll mention I had the opportunity to work with and for um, Nanette Pearson and also um, Dr. Gray, Craig Swinson when I was in higher ed and one of the things I'll never forget this conversation with uh, Dr Swinson particularly um they were both fantastic leaders. I learned kind of my what I called my hardcore, HR from Nanette Pearson. And she's like, and I said to her one day, I'm like, I'm exhausted. She's like, yeah, you're in the middle of hardcore HR. You know, a lot of employee relations, investigations. I was like, okay, this is what it's like. I, I you know, I got to build up my stamina for this because, you know, I was new to that. Um, and then a conversation that I remember with um, Dr. Swinson that was very helpful to me, because when you're first getting into that C-suite role and you're taking on those responsibilities, oftentimes you're kind of looking behind you saying, okay, well, who's going to who's gonna tell me what to do next? And you're the one who has to make the decision. And so he said to me, he's like, Denise, I need you to go ahead and consult and advise. Yeah, sometimes you're consulting and advising, and sometimes you just need to tell us what to do, and we need to hear from you. And that was kind of a wake-up call for me. I said, oh, okay, you know, I'm not leveraging my know-how and my knowledge. There's more that I know and I can contribute. I should be in the room, kind of that imposter syndrome that we sometimes get. And um, and you think, golly, yeah, they are relying on me to bring my expertise to the table, consult, advise, and sometimes tell. And I need to lean into that because I was sitting on the sidelines a little too much at that point, but I was a new executive. And so, you know, all those individuals have really had such a wonderful um, piece of my journey. I could go on to like women leaders like Kim Sullivan when I was at Walgreens and um, Kimberly Rath, you know, I I worked uh, with and for her and reported to her for some time and learned so much um, during my time you know, in the consulting arena. So there's so many, but that just gives you a few examples. And you start to reflect, I, you know, the list could go on and on. And I'm fortunate because some people don't have that list or they have more bumps in the road and they have more what we call kind of scar tissue along the way in their career from who they've reported to. And that's not a good experience. And, and, you know, and I've had some um, leaders that, it wasn't the best experience for me, um, but I, I choose to kind of lean in and focus on those that I learned a lot from and that really mentored, they coached, and, and they sponsored me. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and I, I learned a lot about that when I, you know, attending the Diversity Woman conferences, that there's a difference between being a mentor and when you're coaching, you're kind of telling someone what to do and how to do it, and then when you're sponsoring them, You're talking about them when they're not in the room. You're advocating for them when they're not in the room. And so there's such a a nice distinction there that we really need to think about. And, you know, all the the leaders and the bosses and the executives that I've been able to report to, the ones that I've built strong relationships with, they've been sponsors. Like when I'm not in the room, they're thinking of me. And that's a big deal.
0: (laughs) You know, I want to extract a couple of things. You said so many great things there, but one of the things you said early on that really struck me was the the leader there at Walgreens. You said he he helped you, but you also helped him. And this idea of as whatever leadership role you're in. To recognize that you can learn from every person who's on your team. It's not just up to you to impart experiences, wisdom, knowledge to others. It's recognizing they all have expertise to teach you. And then speaking of expertise, this whole idea of you realizing and giving yourself credit for the things you had learned, the things you knew that made you unique, made you be able to be a significant contributor as an executive that you may have tended to discount. And I think that's a common challenge for all of us. When we become skillful at something, we often assume others have that skill too, and they don't. And so that learning process that you just described about realizing, I have a lot to offer here because not everybody has walked my path, has the awareness and the the insights that I have. And I think that's so valuable. Thank you for all of those experiences that you shared. And it's true, we can learn a lot from those who are not exemplary leaders in terms of what not to do and how we don't, I guess, want to be. One of the other experiences you had that I really want to tap into was this serving, you know, in these seven executive teams, and you've been on four different boards. Those are important positions. And I would love for you to talk about what are some of the key insights, um, takeaways that you've had from all of those experiences, either cumulatively or if there are certain ones you want to individually point out for a specific lesson.
1: Yeah, you know, just overall, <clears throat> my opportunity to be on multiple executive teams, I think, has been an advantage point for me. Um, and I've made moves throughout my career for different reasons, and it's led me to a variety of different experiences and different leadership styles that we just spoke about. Um, And with that, Each of them have been very unique into the makeup of individuals who've been on those executive teams and the peers that I've been able to build relationships that are also serving on those executive teams. And there's a lot to learn from that, particularly when it is across multiple industries as well. So just the whole experience in general of having that opportunity to work on a variety of executive teams has been something that is really that I haven't taken for granted. And I've really made sure that I did a lot of time reflecting as to what are the dynamics on this team? Why does it look so different on this team versus my my last team? And what is working really well within some of those executive teams and what isn't? And so that's been good. And then in regards to boards, because boards work and operate a little bit differently, and they're supposed to. They're supposed to have a different seat at the table and a different level of um, influence and a different level of contribution than your executive team or your management team. And what I've learned from boards, I've been on multiple boards, as you acknowledged, um, is that governance piece that I've learned a lot about. And how their role as a board member is is different from the C-suite. You know, the C-suite is expected, as well as that management level, to go out and execute a, on it. And that board gives that advisory kind of um, know-how and knowledge. And they're able to be not in it and kind of be a, a little bit removed and that's really beneficial because they're not in the day, the day, and they can see things, maybe blind spots that the executive team isn't noticing because they are in the day, the day, kind of the thick of it. And so that's been really helpful for me to see those differences. And then also, I was able to work on the autism. Society of Colorado, and I was the nominating chair. So I was on the board, but I also had a very distinct role in helping with who was nominated and how they were qualified to be a board member and invited to be a board member, or those who were advocating for themselves to be, you know, considered as a board member. And that was an interesting process as well, when you get to play a different role, or you get to be on a committee or a subcommittee from a board. So I think it's something for particularly our HR professionals to, you know, early in my career, it was like board, you know, it, when I first started off, I, I wasn't paying attention to what that looked like. But as I advanced and moved up, then you really realize, okay, these different levels from board to C-suite, that executive team, the management team, the supervisory team, that front line, and how each of them almost have their own subcultures, but then how that, influence from each of those layers really is what makes the whole organization work. it also sets the tone for the climate of the organization and um, how the workforce comes together so it, it's all been a great experience but I'm glad you bring it up because I think it's something that um, us as HR professionals we always need to pay attention to is what are the layers what's the hierarchy and and what is the need for each of those those layers?
0: mm-hmm When you were talking, this word popped into my head and then you said it, which is the dynamics <laughs> of of the different groups. And you know, I would love for you just to take a couple of minutes to talk about, because I think this has relevance for a small company, you know, that's composed of just a few people all the way up to the really big ones. What is it that you've seen in the dynamics of meetings? at those levels that causes things to really flow well and um you know i'm just thinking about the process the the facilitation of you know how discussions Mm -hmm. happen when some places people get really bogged down and argue and then others there's this you know smoothness to it that it just flows and so i would love for you to speak about the distinction you've seen between those kinds of processes. What's what's in place in regard to dynamics that influences how those meetings run and what they result in?
1: Oh, yeah, that's a good question. You know, from my experiences, it's been who, one, is leading it, and then what are the norms? What are the expectations of that work culture you know, what is expected? You know, how are people supposed to show up? And what are the behaviors that you expect out of individuals within those interactions within whether it's a board meeting or an executive team meeting or a management meeting? And is leading it really provides the guidance for what that's going to look like. And then also the players, you know, who are the what I would say is the players or the characters or the members of that group that's coming together, how are they showing up and how are they interacting? Is there a level of respect? And, and, you know, if you call for that respect, then I think there will be that respect and making sure that again, those norms are laid out. These are the expectations of how we will interact with each other or not. Um, Cause I've been, had the opportunity to be in very highly effective meetings, or there's there's some ineffective meetings definitely that are going on out there in the world every day. And <laughs> those can be difficult, difficult because it can cause a level of discomfort for everybody who's a part of the meeting if it's not run. And what is the process? Is there an agenda? You know, how are we going to get the work done? And how do we open it up for dialogue and discussion when there is something that You want to make sure you hear everybody in the room and making sure that's done without bias, you know, making sure that if there's someone who hasn't spoken up, they have the opportunity to speak up Um, or is it the same people always speaking up? And then when you start to dissect that a little bit further, when it is the same people, why is that happening? You know, the leader who's in charge of facilitating has to, really take a step back and say, is this going to be an effective meeting or not? And what dynamics, as you mentioned, do I need to change? Because if you always have the same person speaking up um, and they're almost controlling the dialogue, Mm -hmm. then that can cause people, particularly in underrepresented groups that are in those meetings, to feel left behind or um, they will lack the inclusion that they need to have to be able to have their voice heard or feel like they're a valuable member of the team. So there's mm-hmm. there's just so many dynamics. I mean, we could definitely talk about peer um relationships, which I know you know a ton about. Um, and then also the expectations of what that meeting needs to look like from the start, I think is a big piece of it.
0: <laughs> Those are all such great points. And that actually provides a great segue to talking with you about. HRSI. And I know it was created as a subsidiary of HRCI, the Human Resource Certification Institute, which is for individuals, HR professionals who want to be certified. Tell us more about how those two are related. What birthed HRSI? (laughs) Uh, Well, through
1: a lot of thought, leadership, thoughtful conversation, and making sure that we were going to approach the work in the appropriate way and the market in appropriate way. Um, And making sure that we distinguish the two business models, because um, under the HRCI umbrella, it's a business to customer model, it's a B2C model. And under HRSI, the HR Standards Institute, it's a B2B model. And determining if that needed to offer some separation between the two. In addition, one of the largest things, Meredith, that really made us pause and think through this in a very thoughtful way is that HRCI is the HR secretariat for the Technical Committee 260, which is under ISOs. And so as the secretariat, the organization that provides governance and provides the administration of all the HR management standards, it made sense to provide some separation so that we would then not have an organization, what I call playing judge and jury, to those applicants, those organizations that were coming to the table wanting to uh, apply for a certification in the area of ISOs 30415, which is diversity and inclusion. We've also released ISOs 30414, which is human capital reporting. So pr- to provide the appropriate separation so that there's no conflict of interest, we said this would be better served with two different separate organizations. Of course, the affiliation, um, the entity connection is important because the ability to leverage the long history of HRCI, but HRSI is focused on organizational certification, so it's a very different business model. And then also we provide that clean separation from um, HRCI being the secretarian and making sure that, that um, organizations aren't just provided a pass-through to get their certification. They have to go through it. They have to meet the standards. And then there's that distinction between the role that HRCI is playing as the secretary and the role that we play as a separate entity that provides all the guidance and all the um, assessment against the ISO standards. And so it's it's been a good decision. I think it's something that we thought about behind the scenes when we explain it to our prospects. They're like, oh, okay, it makes complete sense. Um, and we've been able to co-brand in a way that people still see us. They see the ties of HR SI to HRCI, but then they also know that we're operating two separate business entity and mm-hmm. entities.
0: Does so, that help? I want to ask you two different questions, and you can tell me which one makes sense to answer first. Okay. <laughs> what kind of organization should consider working with HRSI in mm-hmm. order to go through this? process and then describe what is the process they go through in, in, in making this application so that people can understand what does this really look like and would my organization be a good um, candidate for working on this process
1: yes yes so the type of organization the cool thing about this it's applicable and it has meaning for small medium Enterprise as well as fortune 500 companies. Know because it's and also where those organizations are at along their journey of diversity inclusion, human capital reporting. You know, we plan to have additional um, opportunities for other certifications um, and standards to certify against, but currently we have two within the market, and that's the diversity inclusion and human capital reporting. So the type of organization, again, in regards to size, is small, medium. And enterprise, Fortune 500, also um, for profit, not for profit and um, publicly traded and not publicly traded. And so you any organization that has the desire to create an environment um, that allows for diversity, diversity and inclusion to be at the forefront. Um, and they are concerned about the values of equity and equality, this is for them. And then any organization that wants to make sure that their human capital procedures and and processes are where they need to be and that they are um, formulating those appropriately, you know, it works and is applicable to them. The process itself, we've simplified it. You know, it is it is something that organizations can come and they can move through it very quickly. Um, on average, what we're seeing is that most organizations, it takes them once they decide that they want to apply, about 90 days. To go through the process but they have access depending on which standard they're going through through the dni standard which is 30415 when they're being measured against that we've created an assessment and it allows them to understand whether or not they're ready to move to application if we find that they have the level of readiness to move straight into application they have the opportunity to have that application opened up and they start the process we take them through orientation um, they complete the application they're assigned assessors the assessors review that application and then they make a recommendation to our commission and then our commission makes the final decision of whether or not they are granted the certification and so i've described a process that um, has a lot of detail to it but it's really quite simple on how we've managed the steps. And on our website at um, hrsi.org, you can go on there and it talks about how the certification process works and then the recertification as well. Um, because then depending on which standard the organization is applying for, they have a recertification period. For diversity inclusion, it's the five-year mark. They come back and they recertify. And for human capital reporting, it's at the three-year mark. So that I covered a lot of territory because there's a lot of detail in it, but it's um we've made it easy for our clients to be able to navigate the process. And we're there with them with an orientation. And then they're assigned assessors that um, really go through and make sure that they have met the standard.
0: Mm-hmm. And so let's say I'm the owner of a company or the CEO, and I'm I'm wondering, so why should we? go through this process? What's the benefit? What's the outcome I could expect if we made this commitment to do this certification? Mm
1: -hmm. And that's one that we've, we've had organizations that have gone through and they are already certified and what they're telling us about the process itself just The application process and going through the orientation and the readiness assessment is that it's been transformational that's their words not ours they've said this has been such a good process for for us to understand and affirm what we're doing well in particularly like the diversity inclusion standard in space and then the areas where we have some gaps, because it's a continual improvement process. And that's one thing for organizations to know is that you don't have to be perfect. This is for us to help guide you along this journey for you to improve your processes, your practices, and your outcomes. So we've seen that people feel the level of growth, you know, whether it's as their team is growing. It could be their executive leadership team. It could be their diversity and inclusion committee. Um, It could be their diversity and inclusion council that have described it as a growth opportunity. They receive guidelines. I haven't gotten guidelines before. We've got so many diversity and inclusion strategists and professionals that are they're first time in the role or their first time being promoted to a chief diversity officer. So what we do is provide a playbook to say, okay, what do you look like when you are measured against international st- standards? Because this isn't just about us looking at what we feel is appropriate or what we feel it should look like in regards to DNI or human capital reporting here in the United States. This is on a global level you know, on the diversity inclusion standard, there's over 30 member countries that came together to put together the guidelines. And so they've seen that their retention is better, their workplace climate and their workforce planning is at a higher level. And then of course, the one thing that everybody wants is that this leads to higher profits and higher revenue, and we're seeing those as well. And we know that when diversity and inclusion in particular, when those practices and processes are in, in, in place, that organizations continue to grow from a profitability and financial perspective. And so all of those things are benefits that we're seeing. And it's not just off of what we're measuring. Of course, we're tracking a lot of stuff, but it's the feedback that we're getting from clients that are coming back and saying wow that really made such a difference for us and it allowed us to again feel really good about what we're doing and then also realize that wow we need to do a lot more work in this area and that's okay
0: (laughs) yeah that another benefit that ties in with the ones you've just listed would be enhanced communication and greater openness because people are having to look at what are our processes and where are we not living up to where we want to be? Where's the gap between how we say we want to be uh, as an organization and, and where we're falling short based on looking at the various um, criteria that are that are in place there as part of that process?
1: Absolutely. And I think that's why we hear the term transformational. Quite a bit because it, you know, you don't know what you don't know until you kind of go through the process and you're like, okay, there was a lot of learning. Um, We've also heard clients say it was a learning and development journey for us, you know, and it was nice to have that guidance of the standards and to have more of a playbook of how to do this appropriately. And so, yeah, the feedback has been really good on the learning perspective and then how do you leverage that and like you said have more voices more conversation more thought leadership to make better decisions as a business
0: mm-hmm. that's great well i have something else i want to ask you about that i ties in with all of this because i was thinking of your dissertation <laughs> for your doctorate because you were um writing about re- doing research around african american women and that helped prepare you for the work you're doing today at HRSI. And I would love for you to talk about what was your focus and why was that such a good preparation for this work? It
1: was, you know, Meredith, I didn't know it at the time that it was going to be this preparation and and that I would reach back and be able to leverage that work. Um, And it's so nice that it has been when you're going through the dissertation process. Sometimes you just feel like you're drowning. It's like, oh my gosh, there's so much to get across the finish line with that process. And so it has been nice to be able to leverage it, particularly when we think of the work that we're doing now under the ISO standards of 30415 and that diversity inclusion standard. Because when I did my dissertation, I knew I was having this unique experience, this lived experience that I wasn't quite able to describe. And so when I was working with my advisor, I said, I, I want to know if other, I started off with women are feeling the same way. And then as you go through the dissertation process, they tell you there's a lot of women in the world and there's a lot of women in a lot of different categories. So they make you specify your, your criteria and your methodology and your criteria of what you're going to study. And so I narrowed it down to African-American women at the C-suite. And I looked at those that were middle management and how they how they prepared and moved through their succession planning journey to the C-suite and what that experience was like. And you figure I'm looking at a underrepresented population and so much of the work that we're doing with the diversity and inclusion work is to say, okay, is everybody having an, an equitable, Experience and having access in the same way from an accessibility experience? And is that inclusivity available for all populations? And so you have to take a look at your underrepresented populations. And I was a part of that. And so through my dissertation work, I took a deep dive and I interviewed, I asked over 250 questions of about 17 women that were a part of that study and helped me to understand what I did and was able to do was confirm and affirm some of my experiences that I was having. Um, But now I leverage that quite often in my thinking of of the populations that we serve and that we work with under HRSI, what is their lived experience? Hmm. And how do we help organizations and assist them and support them through this process in ensuring that they're creating a work climate that allows those underrepresented populations to feel like their voice is heard and they feel included and they feel like they belong within that work environment. So it's, I leverage it all the time. It's not something I sought out to say, okay, I'm gonna do this because it's gonna help me, you know, many years from now in my career, but it it has been one of those experiences when you're doing that level of research and the work that I do today that has been monumental in how I understand different populations. Um, I'll tell you one funny story. My my advisor at the time, I said, you know, I really want to do two populations. I said, why do I only have to focus on African-American women? I said, because I want to know the comparative. I want to see how that compares to Caucasian and white women and to um Latino and Hispanic and Mexican and Chicano women. And she said, Denise, I know you're super excited about your research, but a done dissertation is the best dissertation. And at some point, you have to have parameters around your research because you will never finish if you can continue to explore. She goes, those are all things that you can explore you know, explore later on in life. And what's cool about it is I do get to do that now. You know, some of the questions that we are exploring in our application process, when we look at diversity and inclusion, it is allowing me to continue that research and understanding of different populations.
0: Mm -hmm. That's so great. You know, I just love your passion and enthusiasm for what you're doing. You are just in the right place. And I think a, an important takeaway for everyone, no matter what they've been doing in the past, the some of the key lessons from your wealth of experience, you know, both in the corporate world on boards and with your dissertation, is all of what we've experienced can be brought with us into the present and the future to help guide us in and inform us in some of the choices we make the decisions we're faced with and you are such a great example of that with all the cumulative learning you've had across the years and now you get to bring it to bear to have an impact where you're hearing that there's been transformations and i just think for you knowing what you know drives you just listening to you today and also from our earlier conversation how not just heartwarming, that is, but it helps you fulfill your purpose here. That's how I see it. You're you're helping awaken these entities that are bigger than one person at a time. Although that's what it starts with. But the impact you're having on hundreds, thousands, potentially millions of lives has got to just feed your soul every day. It
1: does. It does. I I I have told my team and and my boss quite often, I have to pinch myself. I'm like, this is so exciting, what we get to be a part of. We are making history. We have taken this to the market with the thought of really impacting all of these organizations with better outcomes for employees. And I wanted to do something at a different level because when you're inside of an HR department or any department, you get to influence and make an impact. But I thought, how can can we multiply that a bit more and making sure that we can also standardize it, making sure there's guidelines so that if I'm having these great experience, that I want other employees to be able to have access to that great experience as well, um, Mm -hmm. based off of their work culture and their climate that they get to go and get up every day and be a part of. So. It is extremely rewarding, and I appreciate you so helping us to, to highlight the work that's being done because um, we're in that phase here as, an, as a startup where we want people to know about the great work that we're doing and what they can come and be a part of.
0: That's great. So how can people connect with you, Denise, and learn more about you, your work, and HRSI in particular? Oh, okay, yes. Um,
1: well, definitely I'm I'm on LinkedIn, and that's a great way to reach out to me. I am definitely um accessible through our website, as I mentioned, and that is hrsi.org. And if you go there, we have contact forms that are ready and available on each of our pages, and so that you can quickly fill those out and you can connect and you can let us know if you're interested in diversity inclusion or human capital reporting or both standards. And we'll be happy to get back to our client relation team. We'll circle back and and be in contact as well.
0: That's great. Mm -hmm. Denise, thank you again for the important work you're doing and for joining me today. I just so acknowledge you and the impact that you seek to have through HRSI.
1: Oh, well, thank you, Meredith. And thank you for all the work that you're doing to help and assist Particularly with more effective communication in the workplace and for peers to be able to interact with each other at a higher level. You're doing some great work as well. And I can't wait to hear you. You're going to be coming up on one of our platforms very soon. So <laughs>
0: looking forward to that. Thank you again. Yes, thank you. <laughs> Thanks for tuning into my podcast. Now head over to GrowStrongLeaders.com and check out our two books Connect with Your Team and peer coaching made simple. While you're there, download the free facilitator guide to find out how to implement our unique peer coaching system. Until next time, I'm Meredith Bell.